0: I'm Tom Tate, and this is the Power Time Podcast. U.S.S.R. What's up, Power Players? I'm Tom Tate, your host and guide, taking you on a journey through our youth, one issue of Nintendo Power at a time. I want to personally welcome you to Episode 9 of the Power Time Podcast. Today, we are going to be taking a close look at the November-December 1989 issue of Nintendo Power featuring Tetris on the cover. And I'm very, very excited to be with you today, very, very excited to dig in. To the final issue of the 1980s. But before we get started, right off the bat, I have to give a shout out to my friend and fellow power player, Jason. A couple episodes back, I called out uh, Nabu Naga's Ambition, which was a game that was featured in one of the issues of Nintendo Power, and I called it out for being kind of an obscure game. Uh, The way that it was described, I certainly have never heard of it before, uh, and I doubt it. That anyone out there listening uh, ever really played it or got into it back in the day. And I told listeners to give me a hard time if I was wrong. Well, I was definitely wrong because Jason, it uh, turns out that that him and his wife, they both really enjoyed playing Nobunaga's Ambition for a variety of reasons. Uh, mostly because it was something different uh, on the market out there. It was something new, refreshing. Uh, and after looking up the game, it seems like the franchise has been going on for quite a while, and there was a, a recent release actually not too long long ago. So if you ever hear me say something that's completely out of line, definitely, definitely call me out. Hit me up on Twitter at yo YoPowerTime, Y-O PowerTime, and uh, definitely let me know, because I'm happy to have those conversations, and I'm happy to expose on the air, on the PowerTime podcast, when when I'm wrong. I'm a humble gentleman. I'm ready to expose it. Uh, so let's get into it. Let's get into this episode. But, you know, before we really get into Tetris, before we get into dropping blocks, let's take a look at what's going on in pop culture back in the final months of the 1980s. So we're going to hop into our time machines. Uh, we're going to hop into our DeLoreans. We're going to go back to November, December of 1989. Uh, so what's on the charts right now? Flipping through the radio, uh, what are you listening to? We have Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire, a very, very iconic song from back in the day Uh, that was top of the charts uh, back in these months. We have uh, Back to the Future Part 2 and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Uh, These are two of the uh, box office smashes that I'm sure you've seen uh, dozens and dozens of times. And I want to quickly talk about some of the Saturday morning cartoons uh, that were part of the fall 1989 lineup, because I find this to be really fascinating when you look at the different seasons and what shows were popular at what times. We talked a little bit about Captain N and the Game Master uh, last episode, so this made me want to kind of dig deeper and look at what other cartoons were playing around this time that you might have grown up watching uh, parked in front of the TV on Saturday mornings. Uh, So on ABC, you had... Uh, some Disney cartoons, you had Disney's Gummy Bears, Winnie the Pooh Hour. Uh, you also had a pup named Scooby-Doo, Slimer, and the real Ghostbusters in Beetlejuice. Uh, on CBS, you had an hour of Muppet Babies, a fantastic show, but that conflicted with uh, Captain N and the Game Master and uh, Camp Candy, which was a John Candy uh, kind of showrunner uh, cartoon uh, that was on NBC. So I don't know if you're going to watch Muppet Babies, uh maybe the first half and then switch over to Captain N. Not sure. If, uh you have to pick your poison there. Uh Pee Wee's Playhouse, California Raisin Show, Garfield and Friends. Uh you had Alf Tows and uh Karate Kid. So I was a huge fan of Alf back in the day. So I'm still a huge fan of Alf, so no surprise there. Uh the Smurfs, the Chipmunks, and the Bugs Bunny and Tweety Show were still on the air. So they were still kind of in syndication uh and then finally you know 11:30 a.m. on NBC you had saved by the bell. Uh so that's your your fall 1989 kind of Saturday morning cartoon lineup. Uh and oh yeah, so this is a big deal. The fall of the Berlin Wall began officially uh in November of 1989. So yeah, I guess that was kind of an important note to cover uh back in back in this time. So it's also important to note that you know, the holidays are coming up. You've got your Sears wish book out. You've got your red pen or your Sharpie. You're circling all the goodies that you want to see under your tree. You know, you come across the world of a Nintendo spread, showcasing the latest and greatest in, in the NES titles and accessories, all the different controllers that you could pick up, um, all the different game packs. You're circling as many of those packs as you see fit. And then you flip the page to see something that you've never seen before. You flip the page and you see the Sega Genesis, the dawn of 16 bit power. And the subhead here is your world will never be the same. And there are all these screenshots here. We have Altered Beast, we have Super Thunderblade, uh, we have Tommy Lasorda Baseball, we have World Soccer, Thunder Force 2, uh, Super Hang On. And they're all displayed in 16-bit graphics. Uh, so the Sega Genesis, of course, was soft-launched in August of 1989, but it didn't really receive the full distribution throughout the United States until later this year. Uh, so here we are in November, December, and lo and behold, it's featured here in this year's wish book for all to see. We have this fancy controller with three buttons. Um, so, you know, it's it's important to bring this up. This is a Nintendo podcast, but we are about to enter into a new era in the Power Time podcast. Not just moving into the '90s, you know, which was my favorite decade for gaming, but moving into an era of intense competition. So I'll be bringing up pieces of that as we move forward. Um, how competition plays into some of the Nintendo marketing and some of the games that were created. Uh, and there's a lot of cool uh, stories to be told and a lot of information out there. A lot of this is highlighted perfectly in the book Console Wars by Blake J. Harris. So if you haven't picked that up yet, I definitely recommend it. I'll put a link in the show notes uh, so you can check it out. So exciting times uh, to be a Power Time podcast listener. Exciting times to be a Nintendo or video game player back in 1989, moving into the 90s. And I'm going to tell you right now, it is going to be a fun ride uh, for the next 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 episodes, uh, we're gonna be covering a lot of ground. So, before we get started, you know, I do have a quick Power Time podcast announcement. On November 5th, I'll be participating in the Extra Life Game I'll be playing NES titles all day long for charity. I did this in 2014. I was able to raise, I think, around $370 for my local uh, children's hospital, CHOP. Uh, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And this year, I've set a goal of $500. And if I hit a stretch goal of $750, I'm going to be live streaming some gameplay. Uh, and I'll be giving the listeners of Power Time a chance to vote on what games I play throughout the day. So it's going to be a blast. And I really hope uh, that you can support it even if you can give $5, I mean, that would help me uh, get closer to my goal. Uh, CHOP is really near and dear to me and my family. Uh, my kids go there uh, not just for their regular pediatrician uh, pediatric visits, uh, but they've gone there for emergencies as well, uh, and it's really, really amazing. Uh, it's an amazing group of people that, that run it, and they do amazing things, uh, and they're very, very charitable, and very, very generous. Uh, So I'd love to give back to them. Uh, And I really hope that you can uh, support it and be a part of it. And you can learn more about that at powertimepodcast.com slash extra life, all one word. Okay, enough banter, enough introductions. Let's do this. Uh, Let's talk about issue number nine of Nintendo Power. So on the cover of this issue, we've got an artistic illustration of a, it, it's sort of a line of adolescent boys that are just lining a street. And there's neighborhoods in the background. Uh, and then from left to right, as you move across the cover, uh, the realistic boys and houses slowly transition into pixelated block renditions. Um, so it's like a realistic illustration on the left. And then you have a very tetris blocky, pixelated, uh, rendition of the same scene on the right uh, and making up the different block formations um, are the pieces from the classic game Tetris. And the subhead here is get tetricized. Uh Don't miss RoboCop, Willow, iron sword. There's a game boy update and more. And then bonus dragon warrior, 36 page strategy guide. Uh, the price of Nintendo power, still $3 and 50 cents in the U S. However, According to this issue, the price in Canada has dropped down to $4. Uh, Still a little bit more pricier than the U.S. uh, version, Uh, but it did drop down $0.50. This is still the source for NES players straight from the pros. And flipping over to the table of contents, we'll also get a little super off-road NES Play Action Football, more on the Power Glove, a feature on Nintendo game endings revealed, And a few key previews like Shadowgate and A Boy in His Blob, which I'm excited for. Uh, So let's get back there. Let's beam back to 1989 and check out Tetris. So you know it well, Power Players, that was the theme to Tetris, and here's what Nintendo Power has to say. Tetris, the Game Boy blockbuster, makes its NES debut. Big, colorful graphics add a new dimension to the Soviet-designed mind-boggler Tetris, now available for the NES. Already a hit for Game Boy, Tetris is a guaranteed winner on the NES screen. The Tetrad patterns fall to new music in crisp detail and are manipulated into place with super sharp play control so anyone that has played tetris before you know that it's fairly intuitive for those that haven't you basically rotate and uh, kind of position different shaped blocks to create lines that would disappear once you've created a straight horizontal line of all of the pieces kind of hard to explain without actually seeing it but once you see it it makes perfect sense Uh, The challenge, of course, is that different shapes would create gaps, so creating a straight line wouldn't be easy once you start to kind of uh, trap yourself by creating too many gaps. The speed also increased over time as you progressed, making it harder to make quick decisions. If you filled up the entire uh, vertical space and you hit the top, that would be game over. There's really not much else to say about Tetris uh, as a game, Uh, so you'll see in the pages of Nintendo Power They don't really have too much to say either. They basically just try to illustrate the gameplay with screenshots and very minimal text. There is a section uh, showing Howard Phillips, uh, Nintendo of America's kind of resident Tetris master, according to this issue, uh, and his variety of tips and tricks. There are five detailed strategies that he shares, and uh, as he writes here in the pages, the bottom line the best way to become an ace at the game and challenge for the Tetris title is to practice. So yes, Howard Phillips of wise words of advice, practice makes perfect. So we're going to listen to another music selection from the game Tetris, and then we're going to come back and check out the history of this iconic game. All right, we are back. So this issue of Nintendo Power is focusing on the NES version of Tetris, but it's certainly been made popular in the States through the Game Boy. And we talked a bit about this in previous episodes. The idea that you got better with practice was certainly true. And I think the ability to play Tetris anywhere at any time was a great way to get that practice in no matter where you were and develop kind of a true addiction to the game. So both the Game Boy and NES titles were developed by Bulletproof Software in Japan. The big story behind Nintendo's uh, Tetris was around securing the rights. So Tetris itself was developed by Russian game designer Alexei Leonid. I'm going to butcher every single Russian name, just like I butcher every Japanese game. So I apologize in advance. Uh, let's try this again. Alexei Leonidovik. Pashitnov in 1984. So I learned something awesome about him. He later kept developing puzzle games, including Hexic HD, which was preloaded on every Xbox 360 console. If you had an Xbox 360, you probably played this. I know that I put a billion hours into that game when I first got my my 360. Uh, Amazing game. So as the story goes, Pashitnov was working for the government at the time, and I believe that Tetris was ported to a few different PCs uh, and a bunch of, you know, legal and licensing rights disputes kind of followed suit. Um, Even frequent Nintendo publisher uh, Tengen, or Tengen, depending upon how you pronounce it, produced an, an NES Tetris title. And, you know, as the story goes, Pashitnov gave the rights to the USSR for 10 years as he was an employee at the time of development and they handled the licensing under an organization called ELORG ELORG or LORG uh, Howard Lincoln the VP of Nintendo at the time he actually visited Russia to negotiate the rights and there's more to it of course there's a lot out there on the internet Uh, But needless to say, you know, the game's arrival on Game Boy and Nintendo marked a momentous release, not just for Nintendo, not just for Tetris, uh, but for puzzle gaming. And just looking back on this title, I enjoyed Tetris as a kid on the NES. I recall owning a copy, but I also had the Game Boy. And as I mentioned a few times on the show, my sister and I would play Tetris on Game Boy so many times using the system link cable, just the ability to play player versus player uh, was a ton of fun. And I remember car rides uh, in, in my family van, both sitting in that second row, captain's chairs with the link cable kind of stretching in between or you know being at a relative's house uh, during the holidays when we just absolutely didn't want to be there because we just got all these amazing toys uh, for, for Christmas. Just those memories of being able to kind of hang out with my sister and play uh, Tetris with the link cable uh, really sticks out to me. Uh, if you have any memories of Tetris, uh, if you recall phases of your life uh, where you got way too into it, uh, tweet me at Yo Power Time, because I would love to chat Tetris. Uh, it's not the most exciting game uh, that we're going to be covering or have covered already. It doesn't have the same action appeal of, say, Mega Man 2 or the forthcoming Super Mario Brothers 3, uh, but it it is just a game that stands the test of time. Uh, some variation of Tetris ends up hitting most consoles, uh, most Nintendo consoles, including Game Boy Color, uh, Super Nintendo, N64, I believe even Virtual Boy got a Tetris variant, uh, so it's going to continue to stick with Nintendo. We're going to be hearing a lot about Tetris as we move uh, forward through uh, future episodes. In 2009 or 2010, I can't really remember the exact year, but I, I I recall getting Tetris for my PlayStation Portable, my PSP, and it was a downloadable mini title by EA, Uh, just as a testament to how great uh, the core mechanics are from Tetris. I think I put, you know, a couple, at least 100 hours uh, that year just playing Tetris. Uh, EA introduced achievements for that game, and that was enough for me to really just want to rack up the lines And try to get those achievements. So Tetris plus some uh, gamification—it really, really stuck. And I remember just playing so much, 2009, 2010, Uh, and I was playing on the classic mode, you know. So it wasn't anything new, wasn't anything fancy. It was just straight, uh, pure Tetris. So I I love Tetris. I would love to continue talking about it. But like I said, it's not the most exciting title. Uh, We could have dug deeper into the history. uh, But we're just going to keep this episode moving. Uh, We're going to keep things moving because we've got a lot of games to cover. Next, we are going to be taking a look at Willow. We talked a little bit about Willow last episode. The song that we just heard was the world theme from Willow. I've recently just fired up Willow for the first time and I put in about 45 minutes of gameplay. It was a lot of fun. I'm hoping to find some time to kind of see the whole game through. So maybe when I do the Extra Life game a uh, Willow will, will be one of the games that I play during that marathon. Uh, so in this review in Nintendo Power, uh, we open up to a list of characters. Most of these characters, of course, are from the classic Ron Howard film, Willow, uh, based on a story by George Lucas. I did not know that. Uh, we've got Willow Offgood, the protagonist. We have Mad Mardigan, who's played by Val Kilmer in the movie. We have Sorsha. We have Willow's family. We have the High Aldwin. We have the Brownies. Uh, and then, of course, we have the villain, Bav Morda. Willow is an action RPG. It's along the same vein as Legend of Zelda with, of course, uh, some differences. It was released by Capcom in 1989. Uh, Well-remembered, of course, for including a ton uh, from the source material. So, you know, it has impressive uh, graphics and uh, very impressive gameplay for the time. But I'll note that it doesn't follow the movie's plot directly. That's one thing that I discovered in researching this game. Lots more uh, text dialogue and conversations than you'll get in a title like Zelda, so it's a bit more RPG-ish. Uh, and based on the review here, you know, with HP and MP uh, and, and different items that you collect, there are a few more RPG elements than Zelda, uh, but it has some similar gameplay mechanics. So a few other interesting things of note uh, in this feature: there is a list of items. There's the flame sword, the gold shield, medicinal herbs, uh, etc. But most interesting that I found uh, paging through this, and I'm surprised I even caught this, is the inclusion of an ocarina. Now, the ocarina was not a notable musical instrument in my suburban social circle until the release of The Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time. And uh, the ocarina, I think, appeared in the Super Nintendo version of A Link to the Past. But if I remember correctly, it was referred to as the flute. Uh, so here we have this iconic Zelda and iconic Nintendo item, just being casually referenced here from Willow, uh, and I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, and maybe you know if 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 just the ocarina wasn't something I was exposed to, but maybe you were exposed to. Let me know uh, because I'd be curious to hear if you know the ocarina was this popular instrument prior to video games, prior to the Legend of Zelda. The other fun fact about Willow is that like uh, Ninja Gaiden, an arcade game was actually produced alongside the NES title for Willow, and uh, they were completely separate. They were developed completely separately, uh, and I played the arcade title, uh, and not only is it one of the more graphically impressive titles for 1989 for its era, but it's also one of the funnest. So if you want to try to check this out on YouTube, uh, maybe I'll try to find a link for the show notes. Uh, it's a side-scrolling action-adventure platformer, uh, and it really captures the feel of the movie pretty perfectly. I definitely recommend you check out some video footage. I'll see what I can find. Uh, and I'm going to link up a great article from Hardcore Gaming 101net uh, in the show notes at powertimepodcast.com slash uh, nine so that you can learn more about uh, this amazing game and also its its arcade counterpart uh, because it was just a really fun franchise, uh, not just on the big screen, uh, but also on your, on your home screen playing on the NES. After that, we've got a look at Ivan Stewart's Super Off-Road. This is a racing game that takes advantage of the NES satellite four-player accessory. We touched on that last episode. Uh, judging from the screenshots here, it looks very similar to RC Pro-Am, and as a fan of RC Pro-Am, I'm sure this is a blast to play. It looks like a lot of fun. Plenty, of courses, is. Uh, lots of power-up items that you can scoop for some four-player action. And finally, we've got a review and walkthrough for Iron Sword, developed by Zippo Games, and uh, Zippo Games was a subsidiary of Rare, and this was published by Acclaim. This is officially the sequel to Rare's Wizards and Warriors, although it doesn't really make that super clear in this feature. Uh, And this game was previewed a few episodes ago as well, uh, and here it's getting its formal review. So once again, uh, Kuros the Warrior is called upon to restore peace to Sundarin. He must defeat the evil wizard Malkil who has assumed the elemental forms of earth, wind, fire, and water. Nintendo Power takes you through the wind elemental stage right up to the boss battle. There are a lot of items in this action-adventure RPG. Many of them are shown here. There's the golden egg, the sword, the eagle king, the book of Sandarin. This is a true uh, Wizard of Warriors game for sure, uh, just given some of these item references. There's also a continued look at RoboCop uh, in this issue with even more maps and strategies. And I was playing through RoboCop the other night uh, without Game Genie, and it was super difficult. Lots of fun, though, and I remember every bit of that game. And, of course, it wouldn't be a holiday season without a popular football title under the tree. These are the years before Madden, uh, before some of the bigger franchises. So instead of having those weekly uh, Madden installments, we have one of the greatest uh, football titles, NES Play Action Football. Four-player mode, instant replays, which we'll talk about shortly. Player energy levels, playoff mode, uh, more enhanced stats. This was definitely an enhanced uh, supercharged football title for its time. You can sub out players, which certainly feels pretty unique for 1989, the ability to do that. Uh, there are eight teams in NES Play Action Football. It looks like the team names aren't licensed, so your teams are just cities. We have Denver, Miami, LA, San Fran, etc. But the actual players are included here. So I'm seeing you know, Dan Marino, John Elway, Bo Jackson, Joe Montana. They're all here uh, playing for their cities. Tecmo Bowl is definitely well-remembered as an NES football classic, but I personally think I, I feel like I logged more hours uh, playing one- or two-player NES play-action football than I played Tecmo Bowl. And one thing I do remember were the instant replays, mostly because they were never, never correct. So I remember scoring a touchdown by running it in, and then it would flash to the replay reel, which would show a player uh, receiving a pass in the end zone, which was absolutely hilarious. Uh, but yes, fantastic game. Uh, and then finally, we have a quick set of featured winter games. I'm not too sure which makes these winter games, but we have Wheel of Fortune Jr., Jeopardy Jr., Three Stooges, Stealth ATF, and Godzilla. Uh, and they were all uh, receiving many reviews in this issue. And before we head into the next featured section, previews, I just want to give another shout out uh, to a listener. Uh, this time going out to Anthony Hayes, who left a review on iTunes. Anthony writes, thanks for the trip down memory lane. And I just want to say thank you, Anthony. I want to thank all the the power players out there. Uh, It's a total blast to be able to page through these magazines and share them with you. Uh, So if you're digging this podcast and you want to support it, just drop a quick review at powertimepodcast.com slash iTunes. I read all of the reviews. I respond to all of the reviews and I will even read them on the show. Or if you don't feel like doing that, uh, please, please, please just tell a friend. Uh, just let a friend know that you found the show. You've been enjoying it. Uh, They love Nintendo. You love Nintendo. We all love Nintendo, and they might enjoy the show as well. Really helps me continue to grow the audience. All right, Power Players. We're gonna dig into previews. We've got four main titles previewed in this issue. One of which is an all-time personal favorite. So much so, this is one of my favorite games, and I say that. I feel like I say that about all these games. I say, oh, that's one of my favorite games, but. with this particular game, uh, my friends and I, we even wrote a song about this game. And I'm not talking about, you know, when we were young kids, when we were 10 years old, we jotted down lyrics in the back of the booklet uh, and we hummed a little tune. We actually wrote this song when we were in our early 20s. uh, And it is an epic tune. And I'm actually going to play it in a little bit. So stay tuned for that. So up first for previews, we have a chilling mystery in an ancient castle. PC possibilities come to the NES with Shadowgate. Shadowgate was a point-and-click adventure originally for the Mac, and here it is ported over to the NES. So it's definitely a unique title to watch. We'll keep a close eye on this one. After that, uh, we take a quick look at Silent Service, which is a World War II submarine sim from Ultra. There's another skateboarding title here that's previewed called 720 Degrees, as well as The Guardian Legend, which is a cool-looking sci-fi title. So I'm not going to talk too much about these games uh, today, but I do hope that they receive full featured reviews because I would love to dig into The Guardian Legend because I don't recall that game too much. But really one of the highlights here is a preview for A Boy and His Blob by Absolute Entertainment. So this was a very unique title by David Crane. And David Crane was one of the original developers at Atari and Activision. And I remember that he was associated with this title because on the cover for Boy and His Blob, it actually said, David Crane's A Boy and His Blob, Trouble in Blobalonia. And I always thought that stood out that the actual creator of the game was associated with the game. You didn't really see that too frequently. So the graphics and the music, to my recollection... You know, they weren't wildly impressive for the time, uh, but the gameplay was just out of this world. You controlled a boy who had a friend uh, who was this white blob-like creature, and you were on a quest to explore and ultimately save the blob's home planet. And to do so, you had to solve certain puzzles, and to solve those puzzles and reach certain areas, you needed the blob to transform into different items and power-ups. And to do this... You fed him different uh, flavored jelly beans and each of the jelly beans corresponded to a different power up or a different ability. So the licorice would turn him into a ladder, the cola would turn him into a bubble, the apple was a jack, the root beer was a rocket and so on. It was just an incredibly fun adventure, a really cool atmosphere and, you know, unique gameplay. I mentioned this in the DuckTales episode uh, I mentioned that way forward made DuckTales Remastered. Well, they also created a reimagining of a boy and his blob, and the art style is just incredible. It is beautiful. Everything about that game, the remastered game, is amazing and totally worth playing. I highly recommend it. Uh, and I'm actually so close. I've been so close for a while of getting a boy and his blob tattoo based on the artwork for that Way Forward title. I have no tattoos. So the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my 30s and I want to go get a tattoo of a boy and his blob is pretty ridiculous. But that's how much I love that game. That's how much I love the art style. So right now, I'm going to take a quick break. We are going to listen to a bit of a song that was recorded in a dank basement in South Philadelphia in 2009. This is my old band with some of my best friends performing a song called A Boy and His Blob. Uh, this is not featuring any music that is actually in the game. It is just a song that is inspired by the title. And I remember writing the lyrics to this with my friend Anthony at Ray's Happy Birthday Bar in South Philly one night over a few drinks, or maybe it was more than a few drinks. I can't remember, Uh, but I'll never forget this tune. Uh, I, I, I love it. I hope you enjoy it. All right, so for video shorts, we have Goal from jalico That's a soccer title. We have Thundercade, POW, Twin Eagles, Back to the Future, another LGN movie tie-in. And we have Black Bass, a fishing title that I played a ton at my neighbor's house right down the street. Uh, Packwatch, this issue, reveals some hot news uh, with a close look at Super Mario Brothers 3. We have some screenshots to show off the style, the world map, and the villains. Uh, there are bonus memory and timing games that are referenced here. Special suits like the frog suit and the leaf, uh, that of course gave you the ability to fly for a temporary period of time. This, my friends, is very exciting news. We're finally getting a look at one of the most anticipated games of all time. Uh, very exciting news here is that it will be playable soon. It will be playable uh, in the Play Choice 10 which was a Nintendo coin-operated arcade machine that gave you uh, the ability to play some Nintendo titles that were on the market, but then a few that were coming out soon, like Super Mario Brothers 3. And then it would be formally released sometime in 1990. So after this in Packwatch, we've got Eight Eyes, Abadox, Rescue, the NBC mission, Top Players Tennis, Adventures in the Magic Kingdom, the California Raisins game, The Last Starfighter, Web World, Urban Convoy and Captain Skyhawk. So, we will be looking at most of these titles in future issues of Nintendo Power, of course, uh, but they get mini previews here uh, in this particular issue. All right, we're going to move into our next segment. And our next segment is That's So Retro, where we take a look at all the little nuggets, all the little sound bites from this issue that are super, super retro, super 1989. First up, we have a retro Howard and Nestor comic Uh, that's not one of the best. This is not a great, uh, great showing for Howard and Nestor. It features DuckTales, the moon stage. It creatively works in some tips on how to find a key uh, and how to find RoboDuck's remote control, Uh, but they clearly couldn't get the licensing for DuckTales uh, for the official characters. So it's Howard, Nestor, and some drawings of actual ducks on the moon. It's very, very bizarre. It's super retro because it's Howard and Nestor. Uh, especially, there's a corny joke when Nestor says that he's uh, he's been abducted, D-U-C-K, uh, by aliens, uh, which is very, very uh, corny, very 1980s. Um, but yeah, not the best showing for Howard and Nestor. After that, we have a super retro look at the Power Glove and U-Force. So we've talked about the Power Glove in previous episodes. I'm sure you know what it is. I'm sure you've seen it. I won't go too deep into it here, but needless to say, uh, this is definitely going to be a big seller. Uh, I don't think they made it out in time for the holiday sales, though, which is unfortunate, uh, but it's coming out. Uh, the U-Force, however, is a different-looking contraption. I never saw this before prior to paging through this issue. Um, I'll read verbatim uh, what they say in Nintendo Power and see if you can make sense of it. Maybe you actually remember it. Throw both hands into the action with U-Force from Broaderbund. Sensors detect both the speed and position of objects that are within the U-Force field. It can be set up several ways with accessories to adjust for different gameplay functions. It includes a T-bar with firing handles and a power bar, which increases the sensory field. Very, very, very strange. Uh, Again, I don't remember this too, uh, too much. It looks like Battleship or something. It looks really, really bizarre. Uh, But if you remember this, definitely get in touch with me and let me know if you had one. I would love to talk to you. So after that, uh, we all remember the Game Boy fondly, of course. We covered it in the past few issues, uh, the past few episodes. Uh, Well, Game Boy finally breaks into the tips and tricks pages of Nintendo Power with a full section of strategies for the Game Boy games. So Super Mario Land, Revenge of the Gator, Pinball, Castlevania the Adventure, Motocross Maniacs, Tennis, Baseball, and Alleyway. Uh, they also sneak in a few previews here as well. Uh, this whole section really brings to light and really re- uh, recalls, you know, for me at least, how primitive the early graphics were for the Game Boy titles, uh, because it's showing maps. This is super retro. It's showing maps for like Super Mario Land, uh, and it's all in this yellow and black and 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 grayish and greenish hue. Uh, It's really not attractive. I love the Game Boy. Uh, I remember it fondly. Played a ton of it, but it just didn't look, it doesn't look amazing in retrospect. Up next in NES Journal in this particular issue, there's a preview for the 1990 Nintendo World Championships Tour. Have you ever wondered who the best video game player in the world is? Or have you ever pondered what it would be like to test your own video game scores against the very best? Well, Wonder no longer. Your questions may soon be answered. Uh, So this, of course, was a Nintendo competition, and a complete schedule will be debuted in the next issue. So we'll talk a little bit more about what cities uh, the Nintendo World Championships Tour hit and uh, what it specifically entailed. We'll learn a little bit more uh, next week. There is the NES Journal movie, uh, which features... This is incredible. The NES Journal movie features The Wizard, Easily a fitting feature uh, for that So Retro because this is one of the retro video game movie classics. Uh, this movie stars, of course, Fred Savage, Christian Slater, and Jenny Lewis, along with a slew of Nintendo references and games that you'll absolutely appreciate as a power player. So this movie is, it's sort of a road adventure movie. It chronicles Corey, who is played by uh, Fred Savage, and his younger brother, Jimmy as they travel to California. And Jimmy is a bit of a video game prodigy. And when they find out about the Video Armageddon National Video Game Championship event, that becomes their destination. So it's all about uh, them getting to this video game championship event. Certainly makes sense. Uh, this, This feature right in parallel next to the Nintendo World Championship Tour article Uh, right after the Super Mario Brothers 3 feature uh, because, you know, I'll mention this, if you haven't watched this in a while or if you've never uh, actually seen this movie, please do yourself a favor and go back and watch it and check it out because it is delightfully cheesy, but it is a big advertisement for Nintendo and Nintendo products. There's a scene where they call the game counselors. They actually call the game counselors to get tips and tricks. Uh, There's also a scene where the cool... Villainous kid uh, on the block debuts his power glove. And, of course, the finale shows off the yet-to-be-released Super Mario Brothers 3. Uh, and that is the first time that I've really caught a glimpse of Super Mario Brothers 3 gameplay, uh, was watching the movie The Wizard back in 1989 uh, or 1990, uh, whenever, whenever it got its VHS release. So I'm sure 1990 is when I actually caught The Wizard. Uh, But it's just fantastic. It's worth every minute. I definitely recommend checking it out. Up next, we have one of my favorite segments of the show. Are we having fun yet? And this is where we pull out all the loose ends, all the things that are just plain fun but didn't really fit into other uh, portions of the show. So first, we have this feature that, that calls out Nintendo. It says, Nintendo Power Tells All. And it's kind of positioned as like a tabloid. And I wouldn't necessarily call this fun, right? I've talked a bit about this in the past. Nintendo runs uh, this Nintendo Power Tells All, the top 10 game endings exposed feature to showcase 10 classic game endings and what happens. Uh, And this was pre-internet, pre-spoiler alert. And if you've been following along with Power Time, you know that I don't really care too much for Nintendo Power revealing too many plot twists and plot points within their pages because I think it takes away from experiencing the actual game tips strategies I get that Uh, that's very important and a big seller for the magazine but to give away the ending of the game feels a little extreme Uh, but here we straight up have the ending ruined if you haven't played yet Uh, and if you plan to play some of these games you know it's just completely blown so I'm not going to spoil any endings for you, but I will read off the list of games uh, where the ending is revealed. Contra, Akari Warriors, Castlevania, Goonies 2, Super Mario Brothers, Metroid, Rad Racer, Punch-Out, Kid Icarus, and Wizards and Warriors. Uh, all those endings completely, completely destroyed. So great endings, great games, uh, but Nintendo goes and, and blows the lid off uh, by revealing the ending. Okay, moving on. Later, in NES Journal, uh, there's actually an article about Capcom donating $50,000 worth of game and computer products uh, to 10 leading hospitals and pediatric wards in California. Uh, Really, really awesome. I've always loved Capcom. I've always loved Nintendo, and I've always loved that they did things like this. They supported communities. They supported uh, children. Um, We talked a little bit about Nintendo producing kind of an accessible controller Uh, for people who were uh, physically impaired. I love that kind of stuff. And you hear uh, Capcom uh, going forth and doing this as well. So I really appreciated that. Uh, There's also a contest here to design the new Nintendo Power Jersey. Uh, So one day when I have hundreds of thousands of dollars and I have all this disposable income, I'm going to set up eBay alerts so that I can get some of these Nintendo Power uh, paraphernalia like jerseys, pins... But unfortunately, that day is not today. So, Power Players, that brings us to the conclusion segment of the show. We're going to wrap things up with the top 10, as reported in issue number 9 of Nintendo Power's Top 30. So, coming in at number 1, shocking, uh, lifting to the top, is Mega Man 2. After that, we have Super Mario Bros. 2, Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link. At number 4, we have Ninja Gaiden. At number five, we have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. At number six, we have Faxanadu. Number seven, Dragon Warrior. Number eight, The Legend of Zelda. Number nine, Strider. And coming in at number 10, we have Bionic Commando. So you can see some fluctuation this week. Uh, We have some new titles that are rising to the top. Titles that were featured in previous episodes, uh, previous issues. So up next week, uh, we are starting a new year next week as we enter into the 1990s and we are going to kick things off strong with the January, February issue of Nintendo power. We'll be taking a look at Shadowgate, river city, ransom clash at demon head, uh, Batman, which is actually the cover story and much, much more. So tune in next week. It's going to be a blast as always. My gratitude and deep admiration for all of the music that's featured in today's episode. Uh, in this particular episode, we didn't feature any cover artists, but we did feature some fantastic music from Wee Guy, uh, who puts out some some uh, NES classic tunes in 8-bit stereo on YouTube. So I'm going to link those up in the show notes. Uh, we did listen to Azure Flux uh, "Eat My Chips," which is the unofficial Power Time podcast theme. Uh, we listened to a few tracks from Tetris uh, from. We Guy in 8 bit stereo. Uh, we listened to the world theme from Willow, also compliments of We Guy. And then finally, uh, we heard A Boy in His Blob by my old band, The Old Days. Uh, if you check out the show notes for links, uh, you can check out the show notes for links to all of this. slash nine. I'll link up where you can check out more music, uh, and I'll also have a few bonus videos as well. All right, Power Players, that's going to wrap up today's episode. If you want to keep in the loop with all things Power Time, check out powertimepodcast.com slash unlocked to join our private community and newsletter. And as another quick reminder, on November 5th, I'll be raising money for the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia through Extra Life, an all day gameathon. You can show your support by checking out powertimepodcast.com slash extra life and making a small donation. I would totally appreciate it. And finally, I love feedback. So if you're enjoying the show, please let me know. If you're not enjoying the show, let me know too so I can work on it. I'm here to serve you, the audience. So please uh, tweet me at powertime on Twitter um, or you can visit the site to contact me. I, I'd love to improve, just continue to make the show better. I'm always kind of working on the length, the music selections, the history. Uh, So let me know what you like and let me know what you don't like. And with that, I'm your host, Tom Tate, signing off. Thanks, as always, for your time, attention, and participation. And until next time, keep on playing with power.